From the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe, you're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Hey, good day wherever you are. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and welcome to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz, your place to grow a business during complete global chaos. We got an incredible episode for y'all today. First, though, you know, I have to plug this. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can join the channel. We got a lot of perks listed out there. And basically for $3 a month, $3, you can hit that join button. You become a baby shark. Now, if you don't want to, you know, keep paying it to the big global corporate machine of Google and YouTube, no problem. We got a solution for you, too. Okay, you can grab our coffee, our exclusive coffee brand, Dead House Coffee. Just head right over deadhousecoffee.com. Use the code SHARK. Okay, you're going to save 20% and all proceeds are directly supporting this channel producing the biggest, best show we possibly can. Now, let's get back to today's show. Okay, today's show is all about following your dream. And when you're young, you may not even know what your dream is, okay? But you just kind of get these bucket list items that sometimes appear out of nowhere. And I would say that's definitely the case for today's episode, okay? Regardless of your past, you can reinvent yourself just by doing the right thing. And yeah, I know, it's a struggle. You go back and forth. It ain't easy, okay? There's going to be highs, some extreme highs. And then there's going to be lows. And those lows can be rough. And today's episode is about the life journey of a good friend of mine. Somebody who has experienced it all. And this personal transformation story is so, so incredible. Really, from being a drug addict, being in jail, now being the host of the brand new hit TV show, okay, that's on the Outdoor Channel. It is an incredible emotional story. It gets a little loose towards the end, so we are going to have to do some uh, censorship with some words uh, just to keep this family friendly. You know, I have young kids, they watch the show as well, too. Uh, but uh, it's a really good story. I think you're going to find it fun informative. And we're also going to talk about the fishing industry as a whole during the pandemic. It, it All around, it's a complete interview. It's a long interview. I hope you love it. I hope you enjoy it. So who is today's guest? Oh, so glad you asked. None other than Tommy Gomes. Short intro here, but Tommy Gomes has been around the fishing industry his whole life. He's been an addict in jail, an alcoholic, and basically transformed into local fishmonger hero down in San Diego that everybody loves. That's where I've originally met him as well, too. He's the founder of many different companies, like the Collaboration Kitchen, Uni Goop Bait Company, Uni Butter Bait, Tunaville Market and Grocery, and Celebrity Seafoods. 
he owes most of his success to his time at Catalina Offshore Products that really allowed him to mess up, experiment, and finally get his life back on the right track. Now he's the star of the new hit TV show, The Fishmonger, on the Outdoor Channel. So, hey, I'm going to shut up. Let's bring Tommy on in here. Personal Growth. Tommy, welcome to Shark Fight Biz. You're going to love this, man, because you just became shark bait. Yeah, right? <laughs> there's, just, there's a funny story with that I'll tell later. Okay, okay, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. For people that did not hear me in the introduction, Tommy is the star of what I'm calling the new hit series, The Fishmonger. I'm so excited to have you yeah. on here, man. It's cool stuff, man. It really is. I can't I can't believe it's happening. I really just it, it I can't believe it's happening to a guy like me, you know? A, a guy like you. Now, this is where we're gonna get in. Everybody knows on this show that we love talking about personal transformation, career transformation, life transformations, how you got to where you got. Okay. And Tommy has probably, I think, one of the most authentic, realist stories of what happens when you really decide that you want to do something with your life and how much you can change. Yeah, it, it really is something, you know, um, life throws a lot of curveballs at you, man. You just got to keep swinging. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So here we go. First question, ask everybody this. I'm tempted to skip it and just jump into your story, but this this will lead into your story. Very, It's a softball question. Who are you? Where did you come from? How did you get where you're at? Basically, tell us, what makes Tommy, Tommy? You know, I get asked that, but not quite that way. So I'm a fourth-generation commercial fisherman. I fished all over the world. Um, I'm a drug addict, ex-con, alcoholic, uh, hit rock bottom a couple times. You know, a couple times I bounced pretty hard. Um, there was a time in my life when I was homeless, although I had a home, I just didn't want to go there and I was living on the streets and it was wow. stuff. And, you know, um, so yeah, I'm a fishmonger, man. The only thing I know is seafood and I, and I try to educate people now on, on good quality seafood and what it's all about. And I try and help the American commercial fishermen out on all coasts. East Coast, West Coast, Gulf states, just trying to get the word out because our food is changing. And I say this a lot that I'm the first generation of a TV dinner and our food right. has changed since then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that whole statement. We've had a lot of food people out here. Um, the guy, you know, Stevia, the alternative sugar, the natural ones that come yeah, from yeah, the plant, yeah. the green stuff. Yeah, Tom King, he's been on the show, the guy who owns that brand and came up with it. And he was talking a lot about the same things that you were just mentioning, although he was talking about food in general, not just seafood. So I, I've got to ask... Let's get into, I don't know what would be better first. Do you want to talk about your your personal transformation and then go into how you went from, you know, the addict, the alcoholic, homeless, all that stuff into being in the fish industry? Not the TV show, but just being in seafood in general. Yeah, you know, 
I, I grew up, my brothers were fishermen, my dad, my, all my cousins, my uncles were all commercial fishermen based out of Point Loma. We've been here for well over a hundred years. Yeah. And, um, you know, I grew up on Beautiful San Diego. Yeah. I fished all over the world. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the transformation because as an addict and a commercial fisherman at sea, you know, I mean, it is dangerous. I really shouldn't be here. There's a couple yeah. of times. Yeah, there's a couple of times, you know, whether it was dangerous situations at sea or prison riots, things yeah. like that, or some, and then the whole addiction thing and everything. Boy. For some reason, you know, a higher power decided to gift me with a long, longer life. And yeah, you and Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blood transfusions, 100%. But, you know, um, I was lucky enough, I fished with my father all over the world, and we did all kinds of amazing things. And my dad got sick, and I I took care of my dad with some family members. And I lost my dad uh, about six years ago. And uh, as a matter of fact, he passed in this house. Sorry to hear it was really weird because it was like a light switch. The moment my father passed, my mother, her dementia just went nuts. And so I ah. took care of my, took care of my mom for another five, six years. And you know, there's things that a grown man shouldn't see when it comes to their mom. I'm just oh, saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. Uh, that's gotta be How long ago was that? So I lost my mom just this past October. Oh, wow. And she passed at home. And, you know, of course, I had hospice and all Mm -hmm. of that who are gifts from God themselves. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is tough. My mom is a, uh, she's a deputy coroner, but she's also a, well, she was for a long time, a hospice nurse. And it would always, uh, you know, break her heart because she, she tells me that, like when she visits patients that are in hospice that these bonds are created when she's seeing these people day in day out at probably the toughest moment of their life because they're in that transformation from this life to what's ever on the other side and um it 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 tore her apart uh way too much where she had to get out yeah and it was it was tough man i mean i'm not you know sugarcoating it or anything. grown men in prison didn't talk to me the way my mom did at the end it was like there was sometimes where i was just looking and i had to laugh you know yeah i'd have to leave the room and crack up i was like oh my god i can't believe she just said that <laughs> that's funny i come from a very big loving caring family you know we have uh, a lot of family members throughout the country and then um you know i i uh I got strung out on meth, got busted with a bunch of it, went to prison, did 10 years there and came out. And uh, There wasn't really a foundation for me to build off of when I got out of prison. Um, so I knew How I was did you do tra- it? Well, I didn't do it very well. I'll tell you why, because I knew I was a drug addict. So I started drinking. I wasn't <laughs> an alcoholic. See, I didn't. I went right into the drug addiction and then I became an alcoholic and I, I hit bottom real hard. And I went, I showed up at a place called the San Diego Freedom Ranch up in Campo, California. 
Mm-hmm. I had a brand new hefty garbage bag full of clothes and that was it, you know, and I come from what? a very, you know, my family's doing pretty good, man, at the time. But anyways, I was in a 120 day program. I stayed there eight months and one night in the middle of the night, I had this weird dream where I was woken up and I heard a voice say, you got to go down the hill and get going with your life. And Mm -hmm. so I left the place and got a job as a cutter, a fish cutter at Catalina Offshore. And I had all these ideas going in my head. And the owner there, Dave Rudy, I'm very blessed that he's a friend. Um, He allowed me to do a lot of programs there in order to not only enhance me, but also help build his company up. You know, we, we did all kinds of stuff. We did a collaboration kitchen dinner event where we raised money for kids throughout the city. And we did all kinds of cool things. And I built a retail department there and a restaurant program. And, and now, um, you know, I left Catalina right before COVID hit. So it had been kind of a little bit of a lull there. And then we started, you know, I want to stop there with Catalina. I think my personal biggest heartbreak of you not being there is I don't get to see all the incredible pictures of the food that you all had there. I I remember distinctly, what was it? I believe it's Opa, the fish that you kept showing different slices of or different styles from tacos to everything. Oh, man, I'm a huge huge seafood fish person and so hungry every time that video that video on 65 million views i can't believe it my great my great great niece she came up to me and she said uncle you're viral and i'm like no i'm not sick and she giggled and laughed and showed me on her phone she goes look you got 10 million views on this video i was like oh my god i didn't even know i wasn't now it's 65 million. 65 million. Wow, that that is incredible. Do you think we'll get 65 million on this podcast episode? I don't know, but if we do, sign me up for another one. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. So, you know, business and seafood. It sounds like when you were at Catalina, you you were blessed because you were able to experiment and do things that really helped you, I guess, feel fulfilled. Okay. Uh, you know, you feel your full potential. Um, how important do you think that was for you with your rehabilitation and being able to move forward? Uh, it was very important, you know, and I'm very grateful, like I said, to Dave Rudy and everybody there, uh, especially the fact that I got to use his dime, to learn more about how to get seafood out to the general public by mm-hmm. educating, promoting, and having fun and mm-hmm. doing that. Because here in America, everybody wants a four-ounce piece of fish, bloodline out, skin off, no bones, and they don't want it to taste like fish. Then go get a damn piece of chicken. You know, <laughs> it it's just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And everybody wants, we're, we're so spoiled when it comes to our food. We shop by seasons for our fruits and vegetables, but we don't shop by the season for our seafood. Everybody wants that swordfish, a type of salmon, something called sea bass and tuna. And there's yeah. so much more out there. Oh yeah. I, I, oh, tell people, I, I tell people, you know, if, 
if the big fish eats the small fish, how come you don't eat the small fish? And they say, oh, I don't eat bait. Well, fooey on you, man, because little mackerel and sardines, oh, and yeah. they're great. They're absolutely down, great. Down in, in Tijuana, you know, our viewers, listeners all know I lived down there extensively for like 15 years. Worked with uh, the Baja government for two years where I met another friend of yours, uh, Sam the Cooking Guy. Um, oh, yeah. And we, we, did you ever see his Baja episodes? The two Love episodes? That guy. Yeah. These, those, so I was the one that worked with Sam organizing all of that, set it up so that he could uh, do it on the skyscraper and everything. And Sam is coming on this show, but we're waiting till his book uh, stuff comes down a little bit. Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, when I was down there, I mean, I was surprised, like, um, mackerel, I, I had a lot of mackerel down there in Tijuana, mackerel tacos. That is yeah. so good. And that's another fish that I guess it's high in omega threes kind of, uh, that way. It's very healthy for you out here. Yeah, it is. It's very healthy. It's got great omegas and, and it's plentiful and it's sustainable, you know, and they eat it all over the world. We just don't eat it here. And I don't get so why we don't. It, it's just a shame because people are afraid of seafood. It's just a fish. I mean, there's some mm -hmm. on my wall. It's just a oh, fish. Yeah. Just cook it up and have fun with it and, and eat it and enjoy it. A little salt, a little pepper, a little butter. Boom. Olive oil, you're done. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's jump into a little bit right now with the business side of fishing. How has the seafood industry been impacted? I don't know if you know this, but we're in this little pandemic thingy that doesn't go away. <laughs> How has the seafood industry been impacted positively, negatively? What struggles do you have? Well, we lost all our restaurants because the restaurants closed. Oh, yeah. so the, the distributors stopped buying. You know, the major mm -hmm. wholesalers stopped buying. So the fishermen, fishermen are very smart and they adapt and they overcome to anything that's thrown at them because every day something is thrown at them, whether it's an environmental issue or marketing or overseas, whatever it is, they'll change and adapt. And so oh, yeah. they started selling off of the boats. And here in San Diego, the San Diego Fishermen's Working Group uh, spearheaded by Peter Helmay and his guys. They have a dockside market every Saturday. And there's literally a line from mm -hmm. Seaport Village almost all the way down to the Midway. Oh, yeah. I've and been there. I, I, I was at that. Um, you, you were talking about the dock with all the seafood that's, I think it's on Saturdays or Sundays, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Saturdays yeah. from eight, 8 to 1 or 2, sometimes longer. Yeah, I've been there a few times, and it was amazing because at one point, I was still working in Mexico, but I actually lived in, in El Cajon at that point, and what always kind of drove me nuts was, you know, Americans, we're so used to buying, you know, grocery store, and even yeah. in San Diego, you know, it's like not as fresh, it's like, where can I get it? the fresh like I would down in Tijuana getting it like right off the docks and yeah. uh, that's how I ended up finding that location and every time I went blown away my kids loving love going down there and seeing you know all the different fish and stuff like that it was cool yeah you know the the pongueros of Baja are yeah some of the toughest breed of fishermen that I've ever worked with oh yeah Those 
those guys are tough. Those, those, you know, 25 foot pongettos, they go out there, they spend two or three days. They don't have mm -hmm. bunks. They don't have a cabin. They're out there in an open ponga. You know, those guys are tough and fishermen in general are tough. Yeah, they yeah. And adapt, like I said, you know, and my so, brother-in-law is a fisherman down in Peru, out of Mala, Peru, uh, south of Lima. He's fishing tuna on a purseiner? I, I don't know all those details, but I know that uh, they catch enough to be able to live. Yeah, I, there's a big tuna industry down there. You know, San Diego was once the tuna capital of oh, yeah. the world. A lot of our boats are down there in Malta right now in Ecuador fishing. Um, okay. A lot yeah. of the San Diegan boats are down there fishing? Oh, yeah. A lot of guys down there from San Diego are fishing. You know, wow. paper holders. U.S. captain, U.S. Coast Guard paper holders are sought after worldwide. Okay. So if you're a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain or a chief engineer, you can get a job anywhere in the world. How much do those, I mean, what kind of salary ranges do they typically get for those positions? Depends on how much you catch. Oh, yeah. Is that how it goes? You don't, you don't catch fish. You owe the boat money. You Ooh. owe the boat for expenses and fuel. Mm. How how often does that happen, actually? I mean, we've all seen movies where you have the fisherman that goes out there trying to fish and doesn't catch anything. And uh, I mean, is that is that how it is in real life? Yeah, I mean, fish have tails. You know, they got to move. And in order for you to move, you got to burn fuel. And to burn fuel, you're burning dollars. And so you got to you got to find them and you got to be real fishy. You got to be real smart and find the fish, catch the fish and get in. The name of the game is to get as much as you can, as quick as you can. So you can come home and do it again and again. Um, right. Right. You know, but here in, in the United States, the regulations and rules are changing for our U S flag boats. And these guys aren't complaining. Um, they just want a level playing field. And that's what the first, uh, the first year of my show is all about is just right. fishmonger is all about talking about what the American fishermen are up against with the imports and unregulated, unreported and overfished seafood that's flooding our country. Right. Cheap, cheap labor, slave labor, pirated fish. All of this stuff is happening. And there's, you know, it, let me let me explain it to you this way. We have government mm -hmm. observers on our boats, on U.S. flag boats. Are, yeah. are they U.S. government observers, I assume, or international ones? Okay. No, they're U.S. government observers. We have tracking devices on our boats that tells the government where we're at and what we're doing. So okay. imagine, imagine if you bought a new car, and the minute you went over the speed limit, you automatically got a ticket. Or if you came to a Are California, you sure California hasn't tried that already? Right. If you came to a California rolling stop and... You didn't stop all the way or you made a right on red, you automatically got a ticket. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that our fishermen are up against with these observers and these tracking devices. Oh, yeah. And so they just want a level playing field, man. And our fish, our fish isn't cheap. The American fish is not cheap. There's so much cheap imported seafood coming into this country that there's no trace and trust. I am trace and trust for our San Diego fishermen. Mm -hmm. I know where it came from. I know how it was caught. And I can explain that to the American consumer. Whereas when it's caught from a foreign boat, say it was China that came in and offloaded in Ecuador, 
That fish now becomes the country of origin is Ecuador. Wow. And if, you, if you go on to. That's crazy. Yeah, there's. A, oh, it's nuts, man. It really is. There's an app out there called Vessel Locator. And there's a bunch of apps. Vessel mm -hmm. Locator is one of them and all that. Where you can go and you can see where vessels are at. And it was a month and a half ago, there were 67 Chinese vessels within a thousand miles of our border. That's not a big, that's not a big distance when you're talking yeah. this big pond. A thousand miles within our border, they had freighters, which were processing ships, fueling ships. They had ships that could provide more food for these boats. And they were banging away less than a thousand miles from us. And then they go into a foreign port. They offload on the freighter. And then when the freighter's full, another one comes in. That other freighter takes off and goes to a port somewhere and offloads all that catch. And that becomes the country of origin. So wow. how much, how many, how many, uh, with that topic there, I mean, obviously living down there, my previous life, I was pretty familiar with NAFTA at the time, now USMCA. I don't yeah. know what exclusions there are as far as the, um, you know, seafood goes off the top of my head, but wouldn't it possibly make a lot of sense for those foreign company countries to dump the fish in a place like Mexico then, if Mexico would be the origin to get it up there, you know, with no tariffs and stuff like that? Mexico is very smart. They don't want anything to do with that. Mexico, oh, great. Mexico has enough seafood. They, they are now coming in coming into their own, I will say, in a respected way, that yeah. they are creating biospheres around some of the islands like Guadalupe Island and certain areas, mm -hmm. um, uh, Clarion Island, Socorro Island, Rocca Portita. These small rocks or mountaintops that have become islands are, are now biospheres and there's no commercial fishing there. Mexico is very, very smart when it comes to seafood yeah. and protecting their resources. Oh yeah, I was uh, I was very surprised once I, you know, I I found myself working for the Baja Tourism, um, you know, with the Secretary of Tourism by happenstance. I was working with American companies bringing their tech down into Mexico. Just so happened, I kept getting client after client after client that was tech, but it was border technology. So like, I don't know if you've ever seen the border cameras, like uh, oh, yeah. uh, bordertraffic.com, stuff like that. Yeah, that was totally me that was ramping that stuff up back then. Why are you laughing? You like it? No, because I ride a dual sport motorcycle and we're out there in the border, oh. along the border fence line and the border patrol, they just pop up out of nowhere, man. They go, oh yeah, you're setting off sensors and oh yeah, we've been watching you with cameras and drones, <laughs> flying drones. We're just out there cruising around, man. I got Otis Redding on my headphones. You're just putting, cruising along, a couple old guys. Next thing you know, there's Border Patrol. We're like, what happened? Wow, that that is that's crazy. You know, but my point is when I was down there, I I, I was very surprised. I mean, I always kind of imagined in the back of my head, yeah. Uh -huh, seafood, all that. that 
sorry, uh, three-year-olds active. Um, but I always had a, uh, you know, an idea like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of seafood stuff like that here. But when I got there, it's a totally another level, like some of these facilities that we toured, stuff like that. I mean, there's some really state-of-the-art stuff down there. And they really take that industry um, pretty serious. And three quarters of Mexico's borders are probably even more, 80%, except for what they share with the United States. I mean, and I guess a little bit with Guatemala and Belize is going to be all water. So... Mexico is Mexico is very smart and their aquaculture, their farmed products that they're bringing up, whether it's Baja Seas with their farm, farm striped bass or right. the farm shrimp, they're doing it right. They are doing it right. And they're doing mm-hmm. it better. I'm going to say that they're doing it better than 75% of the other farmed aquaculture things that are going on around the world. There's some real junk being delivered to the United States that's just garbage seafood that's farmed raised right and horrific horrific you you touched on that earlier a little bit about some of the shenanigans I guess you could say that are happening and going on right now can you elaborate what's going on with our seafood supply well you know we'll take farmed fish you know we have to feed the masses Okay, but can we do it so that it's not damaging and creating dead zones underneath the farms? And Mm -hmm. if you don't eat beef, chicken or pork, but you're eating farmed fish that's fed beef, chicken and pork protein. I mean, come on, man, we've got to we've got to let people know what they're putting in their body. If you put lousy fuel in your car, it doesn't run right yet. You're Mm going to put lousy food in your body and your kids bodies. And you wonder why we're fat, lethargic, diabetic. And right, right, right. First off, with that, with with uh, the protein, animal proteins that they're feeding fish, is that, like, let's just say it's beef or poultry, is that healthy for the fish or is that not so healthy for the fish? It's not healthy for the fish. Fish should be eating fish. And now we're into another question. Oh, my God, where do we get the fish to feed the fish? So if we start harvesting or over harvesting all the fin fish, the bait fish, the mackerel, sardines, anchoveta, things like that. There's mm-hmm. not going to be anything for the wild fish to eat. Right. So all so, of this stuff is, it, 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 I believe personally that we just need to slow down a little bit and do it in a manner that is healthy for the environment. And so that we don't, we don't kill our planet. I mean, we're the virus. Right. We're the virus. <laughs> exactly. So let's jump back one second to the farm fish question. How healthy, unhealthy is farm fish? I guess from what you're saying is it depends how they're farmed, what they're eating. Should you avoid farm fish? I mean, what's your general take? It's a country of origin. New Zealand, they're doing very well. There are countries that are absolutely phenomenal with farm fish. So let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> So there's a big pond, there's a big acreage of land. And in that they have several uh, little league ball field sized ponds. Yeah. Okay. And then all the way around the pond, they have these poles. And on top of the pole is this giant cage. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in the bottom of the pond, they have shrimp. And then they have tilapia swimming around. But up on top of this giant cage that covers the whole length of the pond, they have pigs. Mm-hmm. Now they feed the pigs. Get oh. it? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. That's uh, that's interesting. <laughs> they feed the pig. The yeah. pig automatically feeds whatever fish they're growing. And right. That fish feeds the shrimp on the bottom. Mm -hmm. and so it's basically, I had to think about that for a second, but it's almost like it's gone <laughs> up the ladder. <laughs> so that shit shows up here right. on our shores and we're feeding it to our kids. Look, man, there's a reason why you can get a 75 cent or a 99 cent fish taco. Mm -hmm. You know, you remember that little thing? Now, see, you're going to get me all fired up. And it's, you remember that little thing? Oh, that's had good. To, that conflict we had in, in the 60s and 70s over there in Southeast oh, yeah. Asia. Uh, yeah. And now they got these huge, massive swai farms that are growing mm -hmm. fish in the Mekong Delta. The Mekong Delta. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. You want to eat that? And so yeah, we're exactly. that in here. And what they did was they were very smart. See, they called it Asian catfish. And then our <laughs> American catfish farmers, the American Catfish Farmers Association, they took a beating because that stuff was coming over here and you could buy you could buy twenty thousand pounds at you know a dollar and it was mm -hmm. delayed and processed and portioned out and everything. And our American catfish farmers, they just got hammered. They were losing money left and right. So they had to get a lobbyist in Washington. Here come the politics. Great, because fishermen love politics. Uh, yeah. They had to get politicians and lobbyists to get these companies to take away the wording Asian catfish. They didn't want catfish. On mm -hmm. So now they call it like swine. So that's actually what that is then. That's that's interesting backstory. And, you know, with all industries, I think once government gets involved with that stuff, especially around labeling and stuff, usually well, adds another level of complexity to everything. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, what is fresh? What is frozen? What's gas tuna? You know, you carbon monoxide, a piece of tuna that's all brown and everything, and it turns rosy red and it never changes color. And that's why... You have all you can eat sushi bars. You go to a real sushi bar, two thin slices of nigiri is going to run you 15 to 25 bucks. Sometimes oh, yeah. you're not no, going to yeah. get in there. There's no such thing as a $1.99 tuna roll. But there, oh, is no. some, there is because we have carbon monoxide gas tuna that makes it look beautiful. So that's what they're using to make the, I, I knew that they were using artificial coloring and a lot of tuna, but you're saying it's actually carbon monoxide? Read the label. Read the label. I will read the label. You read the label of what you're feeding your dog and cat. You read the label of what you're feeding your kid, but you don't read the label of what you're putting in your body because you're an adult and we know better. Well, I, 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 I want to put an asterisk in that, okay? I yeah. think a lot of people nowadays are more informed. They are starting to read the labels. However, this is where the asterisk comes in. They're not necessarily, if they're buying fresh, what they think is fresh or frozen tuna, they're not reading the label on that tuna because they see just a big slice of meat. Oh, yep. it's tuna. That's yeah. what people are overlooking. Yeah, I mean, and we have, we have longline boats that come in the San Diego weekly and they mm -hmm. sell directly off of the boats, high quality sushi grade tuna for $10 a pound, $10 a pound. And it's, it's amazing. So just shop smarter. Mm -hmm. If it's one thing, 
that I've seen for this pandemic is that people have learned to cook. Yeah. In, but yeah. They haven't learned to shop. See? Yeah. Read the label. And it doesn't matter what you're buying, whether it's a canned <laughs> good, fresh fish, a piece of meat or whatever. Know the country of origin where your food is coming from. I mean, you're not buying beef from faraway lands. I mean, unless you're spending seventy-five dollars a pound of Kobe beef from Japan. Yeah, Kobe, there you go. So let's uh, let's use the last segment here of the show. Let's jump into your show. Let's talk about the fishmonger. How did that develop? It, uh, it was funny because Scott Layseth, he has a couple of shows on the Outdoor Channel, The Sporting mm -hmm. Chef, Dead Meat, and he hunts and fishes all over the country, and he meets interesting people, and, he, and it's super cool. So he and I were doing trade shows together, consumer shows, um, the Fred Hall Boating Fishing Tackle Show, and he, he had a little area called the Sporting Chef Cafe, and he would cook up rabbit and rattlesnake and tell stories. And I would cook up seafood and tell stories about seafood and things like that. And one day, you know, we would always have backroom conversations in between the in between our shows. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I'd like to do a TV show on the American commercial fishermen and what they're up against just to educate and promote for the American public. Right. And he said to me, he said, how would you like to start that? And I said, well, with a roundtable discussion with 15 or 20 commercial fishermen. Now, that right there is difficult to do because, one, fishermen don't like people. Two, fishermen don't like each other. Unless you need help at sea, they'll help you. And three, mm -hmm. it's like herding cats to get all these fishermen together at a table. So we had a roundtable discussion and we filmed it and it got heated. I mean, yeah. we were asking, yeah, we were asking questions about, you know, uh, environmental groups trying to shut them down and permit fees and government and this and that. And, and Is import. there a lot of environmental group action right now? I remember seeing like the, the, the stuff years ago, but currently it's, it's brutal. Okay. It's brutal. it's brutal. The amount of environmental groups that are coming down to stop American fishermen who are the best in the world, the most regulated in the world to stop them from commercial fishing. Meanwhile, what all you can do is switch flags, go to a foreign country and start fishing all over again. Nobody, no commercial fisherman, doesn't matter what country you're from, no commercial fisherman wants to kill the last dinosaur. Nobody does. We want no. to fish and we want to do it sustainably and we want to do it. And right responsibly. Fishing, especially here in America. Yet, they always want to shut us down because the big, big, big multinational companies can get cheap, cheap seafood from slave labor and pirated seafood. And what I mean by pirated seafood yeah. is unregistered vessels going into foreign countries and going in there and just knocking the snot out of their fish stocks and then hauling butt, you know. And how how can you do and? unregistered vessel i mean with international law is that even legal or is it legal you just do it man i mean, just do can, it you can weld all thread on around the name of the boat and have mm -hmm. different pieces of wood to fit over that all thread and bolt them up there so now oh yeah that boat's registered here you're flying different flags there's all you can turn off a transponder or not even have your transponder you know um and if you're an in, all you have to do is get in and then get back out to international water. That's all you got to do. Oh, wow. 
So That's you go interesting. Into some of these, you go into some of these third world countries that don't have the patrol boats and don't have the mm-hmm. infrastructure to patrol their waters and stuff. And then all you got to look out for is the U.S. Navy. And the Navy, they're not really looking for illegal fishing activities. They're looking for other things in this world. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're looking for totally other things. Plus, my understanding is that, you know, they're really occupied with with a lot of other things than yeah. illegal, illegal fishing. Um, so, I mean, you had this roundtable discussion with the, you know, the group of people. How did it go then from where you had that discussion to actually getting the Fishmonger TV series on, on TV? So Scott took Scott took a lot of the, the topics that we talked about at the round table. And then he mm-hmm. added a lot of um, history that I have and a lot of history that's here in San Diego. And I have a library of old footage from the 1920s that the public hasn't seen yet and Mm -hmm. i mean just looking around this room there's stories about every single piece of of memorabilia that's in here and this is just one room of three that's like this um so scott took it and he pitched it to the network and this is the part that just blows me away because one i don't understand it but (laughs) from the time scott pitched it to the time the first show aired was less than eight months and wow. the network bought it before it even aired. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember that's because he said his name was Scott, right? He's yeah. already producing shows with them. They already, you know, have a relationship. So they probably, you know, trusted the judgment on that. And yeah, obviously and- anybody that meets you just from watching this show, I mean, they're going to be motivated to go out and watch the fishmonger because you could tell Tommy you're an amazing character. I'm trying to do the best I can, but Scott's been, Scott's had a relationship with the outdoor channel for over 20 years. He had the sporting mm-hmm. chef TV show, dead meat. Uh, he had hunt fish cook and he's, he's a super cool dude. And so we hit it off and, he pitched the show, and I don't know if you heard, but I'm kind of a big deal right now. I got my own TV show. <laughs> well, I have my own podcast. <laughs> I'm just some dude, man. I'm yeah. just some dude, you know. Um, How has it been? How has the reception been from critics and people like that about the, the show? For me, it looks all positive, but you? Uh, it's been pretty positive. You know, the fishermen, I mean, I'm not going to kid you. They bust my balls a lot. Um, a lot of it, you know, it, it is TV and I can tell you honestly that 95% or more of what you see on this show is actually real true footage of what's going on. Okay. Um, that was my next question. How much is scripted versus how much is real? There's, I don't do script. I don't do script. You can ask when I was at Catalina offshore, one of my closest, dearest friends, Rebecca Gardone. I brought her in to help me with marketing and help the company grow. Yeah. He was, you know, the right hand foundation of how I got to where I'm at today. And she'll tell you, I don't do script because I can't, I got squirrels and flying monkeys in my head, man. And I can't do script that way. I can just tell you what I know. 
Yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. So, with this then, too, I mean, have you recorded the whole first season? Or are you doing, you know, X amount of the time? We we are, we just finished uh, episode four, and we have eight episodes. And hopefully, it, I think we're going to get season two out of it, because my dad's watching, and I'm sure he's helping no, out yeah. with you know, and all my buddies said I've lost at sea and my brothers and stuff there. I got a good feeling that things are going to happen and, and we're going to be able to continue on with this. But if you want to hear my story about shark bites. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. All right. So as an American tuna fisherman, you were required to jump in the net full of tuna and sharks to save the mammals that were in there. Okay. And I was... 14 years old and on a boat with all my brothers and everybody was they were jumping in the water and, and I'm standing there just shaking and they're in there you know and my dad comes down he goes what are you doing get in the water I go dad I don't want to get in the water there's sharks in there and he picked me up by my neck and my pants and threw me in the water and as he threw me in the water he said sharks don't eat shit get in there <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nothing like a loving father, right? So I hit the water <laughs> and my adrenaline was pumping and my brothers came over and they're like, calm down, little brother. It's okay. It's okay. And that was the first time that I actually interacted with marine mammals in a net. And I, I ended up and I remember exactly what happened. I ended up saving five and I was still scared. My brothers were helping me. And wow. Uh, couple of the guys on the boat so yeah that's my shark no bites. shark cage or anything no man just going to it Oof. you know and that's what we did that's awesome man. that that is awesome i don't know how i would have reacted uh i probably would have been scarier than you you were well, but uh you know i i screamed all the way in. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I think I would have too. I would have too. Anyways, Tommy, hey, this has been amazing, man. Uh, I got one final question for you. Okay. How can people reach out to you? That's where to find you. Yeah, I don't have Rebecca with me anymore. So you can reach out to me on Tommy Gomes on Facebook, Tommy the Fishmonger on Facebook, Tommy the Fishmonger on Twitter. You can send me an email, TommyTheFishmonger at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a handler. I really need to get one because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, man. I'm just rolling. Yeah, yeah. A handler as far as an agent? I got to find somebody to take care of this stuff, man, because I, you know, that's why I told you, I go, yeah, you got to stay on it, man, because I don't know where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing. And I got to be right, right. this. And I'm opening up a new fish market down on, in Point Loma. Um, that's going to be exciting. How that's long do you get your fishmonger uh, fishing poles line? Right. <laughs> I got my fishmonger coffee cups. But yeah. my, friend, my friend Mitch Connor from Mitch's Seafood, we're going to open up a fish market down in Point Loma. It's going to be different. It's not going to be a normal fish market. I think the general public is going to really dig what they see and what we're doing. It's super cool and it's not for everybody it's just for people who want to eat super cool stuff 
Wow, that is amazing. You have a lot going on, my friend. Make sure you reach out to Tommy. And if you heard this up-and-coming Hollywood superstar needs <laughs> an agent, okay? So all you Hollywood people out there, make sure you hit him up. Reach me, and uh, I'll get you in contact with Tommy. Hey, Tommy, thank work. you. Thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Best of luck with the show. Anytime, man. This was super cool. Thanks for having me and looking forward to the next time. Oh, definitely. There will be season two debut. We're going to live stream it, you and me. There we go. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Bye. Wow. Totally amazing discussion with Tavi. Oh, man. That, that, was, that was everything I could have hoped for plus more. First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, which, I mean, it, you heard the story. It's almost impossible that you didn't. If it sparked some warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. You know, we're trying to build a community like-minded business people. We have two interviews, two episodes each and every week, just like Tommy uh, came out today. You know, subscribe, like the video, help us grow this brand, Shark Biz. But if you really want to do us a solid, okay? Really easy. Share this out. Share it out on LinkedIn. Share it out on Twitter. Share it out on Facebook. Get it out to your network. I would love nothing more than to see the fishmonger, Sharkbite Biz, and Tommy Gomes trending on Twitter. So help us get there. Share it out to your network. Thank you. Now let's get back to Tommy. As I said earlier, amazing story. Totally loved it. Uh, you know, and I really feel that like we kind of went full circle with his life. And I, I think there's a couple of things that I just really want to reinforce from the interview you know, here on the outro. First one, redemption. As Tommy said, you know, he messed up a number of times. He's fallen down the wrong path, not once, not twice, but like a kabillion times. Each time he found the support And I think most importantly, the willpower that he needed to bounce back, get sober, and stay strong. The moral of the story here is just because you mess up, it doesn't mean that it's over. And Tommy had a couple of serious mess ups. Now he's the host of a TV show. You can't seek redemption, okay? But you've got to remember, redemption isn't always just automatically given you know you've got to pay your dues and you've got to work towards the redemption you've got to earn it but you can overcome your past no matter what it is another issue that i found very interesting itself was talking about the fishing industry look we're business people we're capitalists very much so tommy is But there's uh, some pretty dirty things going on with what some of these companies and countries are out there doing in the seafood industry. Digging into the origin of your fish and trying to buy from a more trusted source, I think, is critical because otherwise you could be putting some pretty nasty stuff into your body. And not only that, but you could be supporting illegal fishing, you know, people that are skirting around the rules. And because they're from some of these other foreign countries, 
you know, it's easier for them to do that than a lot of these American companies where, like Tommy was saying, you know, we have some of the strongest regulations around fishing in the world. So he gave us a ton of great points there about what's going on in the industry and kind of how to know how to pick the right products, what to trust, what not to trust. Give you some insight, obviously. If you want to find out more, you know, make sure you check out his show. <laughs> uh, support Tommy on his new journey that, you know, again, it just kind of found him. Like, he can't believe that out of nowhere he was able to get this show just from talking with one of his buddies. The Fishmonger, you can find it on the Outdoor Channel. I'm going to have the link down below in the description so that way you can go right to the Outdoor Channel's website, find out more about the show, support Tommy. Please go there, watch the show, support the show. He's got a Facebook page and all this other stuff. Um, you know, the support that he's getting with this show, it's amazing. Let's make sure that there's a season two. Get out there, help him. Question of the day. What's the best part of Tommy's story for you? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. And you can even do it on some of the podcast networks out there. And again, if you want to be on the show, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Once again, that's interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Two final reminders. Remember, smash that join button. Join the channel on YouTube. Three bucks a month. You could become a baby shark. Or if that's not your thing, go to deadhousecoffee.com. Use the code SHARK, get some amazingly fresh roasted coffee. It is shipped to you within 24 hours of being roasted, okay? Use the code SHARK, get 20% off. All the proceeds directly help this show. Once again, that's deadhousecoffee.com. And you all know this by now, but I'll say it again. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 